Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Last week, we kind of gave you an introduction of who Paul was writing this letter to, what was going on at the time. You know, we talked about... uh, um, the relationship between the governing bodies and the Jews, the different uh, factions of Jews, the, the God-fearers that were partnering with them, and that's where these uh, Gentiles come in. And uh, we talked about just all of the things that the church in Rome was up against <clears throat> And we talked about the human condition, which we're going to really talk about tonight. Um, let's see. Just give us a moment as we get situated. So Romans, we thought it was, uh, you know, the, there's an opening letter, and then, he, and then Paul goes into the, what we call the human condition, or... Um, there's a good definition of it here. What it means to be human. The experience, experiences, characteristics, and limitations of life shared by all humans. So it's, it's a shared experience that we all, we all have to deal with, uh, human condition. So, and then he talks about the gospel solution um, and the freedom that comes with the gospel. So he's, we, he's really, the letter is really, Built, it's he builds on his explanation. He starts on the ground level. He levels the playing field. He says, "This is where we're all at. This is why we need a savior. All of us, the Jews and the Gentiles." So he levels the playing field. He moves into why we need a savior, and then he moves into the freedom that comes with it. believe we left off chapter 2 verse 6 yeah so let me share what I've been dealing with the last couple the last day the last week we we were Alicia when we first started reading this she said you know there's something I just I just don't get he starts off praising the church in Rome he starts off in the first chapter about how great they are and he's going to learn from them and he's excited to see him and they're going to learn from him. And then he says about how terrible all these people are that are around them. <laughs> and then he immediately talks about how terrible they are. It's like, well, he, but he just got finished talking, praising them. And now he's talking about how terrible they are. And I was like, oh, man, how am I going to do this? <laughs> and that's, that's literally the thought that went through my head like daily. Oh, man. How am I going to do this? How are we going to connect the, the church and the growth and the, the faith that they have and how you know, their faith is talked about worldwide? And then they're no better than the sinners that they're judging. Oh, man. So, so, I start, I, I, so yesterday... I get, get back from a prayer ministry, and 
I'm just like, I know the Lord's got something. He's going he's gonna to connect the dots. So I pick up my Bible, and I've been reading it in NLT. I've been reading it in The Passion. I've been reading it in the Complete Jewish Study Bible. I pick up the King James, which I don't know why I hadn't been in the King James to start with. And you got to hear this. The first verse in chapter 2. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man. <laughs> o man. So I was telling myself, O man, how am I going to do this? And the answer was, O man. It was in the King James because the word man he uses, that's 444 in um, Strong's Concordance. And it's the humankind. The human condition. He's not talking to the Jews specifically that he's writing the letter to. He's speaking to the human condition immediately. As soon as he starts going into don't judge others, he's leveling the playing field. He's saying, you human being, you who is, you are in the same position, you are on the same level as the, all the human beings that you are judging. You suffer the same conditions as all these others that you are judging. You man, you human. So he immediately starts with, you're, you're a human being. We're leveling the playing field. So when we go through this, we, we can't think of them as saved Christians because he's building a, on this story. He's starting at the bottom. So we have to think of it as a life without Christ. We're all equal in God's eyes. There's no partiality. Without Christ, I am, I'm nothing. I am the same broken body as the person next to me, as the one who is um, full of every kind of wickedness, sin and greed and hate and envy and murder and quarreling and deceit, the deception, malicious behaviors, gossip, all those things. That's the human condition. Without Christ, we're all subject to that. So the, in, in that aspect, I have somewhere to, and now he has somewhere to build on. So. It was really beautiful when he had this revelation, I will say. He's been knee-deep in this computer project, and he's sitting, and he's got laptops, and he's got all these pieces. And I didn't know this, but he's reading the Word, and he took a little break, and he's working on the computer, and all of a sudden he goes, oh, man, that's it, just out of nowhere. It was, it was a beautiful moment. So, <laughs> so that's, that's, that's been a theme. <laughs> So I'm fun. hoping we'll get through chapter 2 and chapter 3 today. We will. Okay. So the human condition. Why don't we start on the human condition in chapter 2? Well, we left off at 6, so. Let's start at the beginning. At the beginning? All right. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to read out of, you want me to read out of the NLT? Okay. So Romans 2, NLT. 
You may think that you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? He's repeating that. Well, he's also repeated that you're human, you human being in, in these, in these uh, four verses. In the ESV, in the King James, he says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, O human, O 444. And this 444 is the same, is the same word that we see um, in, Ma in Matthew when Christ says, uh, well, the word is anthro anthropos, and it's used 559 times in the, New, in the King James Bible. So it's the same man where he says, Jesus says that man shall not live on bread alone. It's the same man where he says, I will make you fishers of men. Um, that's 444. Um, the same man that says, um, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its uh, savor, wherewith, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. So it's the same, it's the same mankind word that he's using. And Don't he uses it twice in that, so... Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, the Jew and also for the Gentile but there will be glory and honor and peace from God from all who do good, the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God shows no partiality. When the Gentiles sin, oh, you're good. You okay. had something about tribulation and distress. Ooh, you want me to touch on that? All right, so we were reading through this and I was like, there will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. And I sat there and I went, well, Lord, you promised trouble, trials, and tribulation for those of us that are your children. So what makes this different from us? Because you promised that we're going to suffer. You promised that we're going to go through hardships. Um, why is this so much worse for them? Because we're both going to have trouble. We're both going to have calamity. And he said, honey, read the next verse. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good. 
he said, yeah, they're going to go through trouble and calamity, but there is no eternal life for them. There is no honor. There is no peace. There is no glory. So they get to go through all the trouble and the calamity without him at the other end of it. And I think that's very important to remember. We can all go back and we can remember those times. If you're anything like me, before Jesus. <laughs> when trouble and calamity hit and there was nothing on the other end, it was hard without having him to keep you strong and steady. So I think it's important that we always remember that yes, he promises us suffering, but our suffering with him is nothing compared to the suffering without him. And that should give us joy to celebrate. <laughs> Another thing that came up in our conversations about the tribulation and trials that were promised by Christ for preaching and teaching about, about him and his life is that this scripture specifically says upon every soul of man who doeth evil. So this is the soul. He's not talking about their, them in person. They're not gonna, he's not saying that you're going to have trial and tribulation in you bodily, physically, carnally. He's saying their soul will have tribulation and anguish. Verse 9. So that's another uh, separation here between the trials and tribulations that we're experiencing now in life versus the trials and tribulation that the evildoers are going to experience in death. So I think that, that he's speaking to the soul is very important there. What Miss Addie read was verse 9 in KJV, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil. It's soul. We're a triune being. It's your, yeah, mind, will, and emotions. So, let's move on. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law, and the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts, for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. You who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right, because you have been taught by his law. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. You think that you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God. 
for you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? So he's already established that we're all human. He's put everybody on the same, same level. And now he's, saying, <clears throat> he's talking to the Jews and he's saying, what do you have to boast of? What do, we, what do any of us have to boast of? If we're all fallible and we're all at the same level without Christ, not, not in Christ, but our beings here, our carnal bodies, our flesh, is no, no better off. We have, what do we have to boast, boast of? Is it, is it me that does anything good? Am I good? Christ said that no one is good. None righteous. He says, and we're getting to none righteous um, in the next chapter, but he's starting to talk about boasting. And that's going to be, that's kind of like, that's, that, that's the purpose, I think, of the perspective of hu the human um, condition. If we're, we're all suffering from the human condition, then what do we have to boast of? Because without Christ, I am not righteous. Without Christ, I am not justified. Without the Holy Spirit, what gifts do I have? It's all, it's, it's so, this concept of boasting is, is really prideful. Um, there's arrogance in it. There's a spirit of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Because they feel, they forget. They forget that they're subject to all the same things. Because they, maybe they have been, they've, they've had the law to show them what not to do. So they forget that without the law, they're still subject to those same natures. And it's a lot like, I, I was trying to figure out how to, how to show this with a story. Um, and without, so without, in Christ, I, I feel like some of us forget that without Christ, what we're capable of. Because we live with Christ, we're, we're, we seek after him, but we forget that without him, we're not the same person. We're, not, we're subject to the same carnal desires. We're subject to the same sinful natures. We're subject to all those things that the rest of the world is subject to without Christ. But in him, we forget what it's like to be without him. So we start feeling more competent in ourselves. We start feeling more, um, like, almost like self-assured is a good word. Yes, self-assured. Now, I worked in construction a long time. I worked in Alaska a long time. And in Alaska, you have to dress for the weather. You have to dress with boots that are warm, that have really good traction, because you're standing and walking on ice in the wintertime. It's very slippery. And if you get ice warm, it melts. It's even slippier, more slippery. So I always had very good boots, and it was very important to me. My wife can contest to it. I would buy myself a new pair of boots almost every year for my birthday. And I made sure I had good boots, good traction, perfect for icy conditions because I was out in the cold. I was on the ice a lot. So I get comfortable with these boots that I know are going to keep me 
from slipping. So here I am in the middle of winter, and it's, I don't know, 1.30 in the afternoon. The sun's been down for three days, literally. Like it's, there's, it's like pitch black outside, 1.30 in the afternoon. And it's 40 degrees out, 40 below zero outside. And I'm working on a, a doorway, an opening from the inside of a facility to the outside. So the inside of the facility is 90 degrees and humid. There's, it's, it's, a, it's a mining facility, so there's water everywhere, it's hot, and then outside is negative 40 degrees, and I am right there. They write the transition, exactly. And I'm standing on this man lift 20 feet in the air. And there's steam going out, and there's cold coming in, and everything's freezing and melting and freezing and melting. And I'm feeling confident that I have plenty of traction on my boots. And I reach, I'm standing on this man left 20 feet in the air, and I reach out. And I can't quite get it there. And I reach out, and I can't quite get there. And I finally reach out where I can get there. Uh-oh, was right. And there goes my boots. I forget that it's slippery. And I go over the handrail, and the Lord saved me because below the basket, four feet in, was a cross member, and somehow I reached it. I, I went over the rail and somehow was able to reach four feet in behind the railing and grab this cross member and right myself and land on my feet. So the Lord protected me that day, but the, the point of that is I took my boots for granted because I, they've always protected me. And I forgot that I was susceptible to the environment around me. So I feel like the longer we are in Christ, the more we have to be aware that we are in the flesh the same. There is no partiality. In the flesh, we are the same, which is how I cannot judge the one next to me who is struggling in sin. I cannot judge him because I know that without Christ, I would be there with him. He did not tell me about this until about a, a year or two later, maybe. He always told me about the near-death experiences with a few years in between them. There's been m more than five. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> makes for interesting conversation. Um, oh, where, okay. Woo, I was so engrossed in your story. Where am I at? Mm. Amen. Okay. Woo. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? If you tell others not to steal, but you still steal, you say it is wrong to commit adultery, but you commit adultery, you condemn idolatry, but you use items stolen from pagan temples. You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. And no wonder the scriptures say, the Gentiles blasphemy the name of God because of you. So the Alicia had, didn't understand how the Gentiles would blaspheme the and name I of God because of the Jews. And that I was comes from... Go ahead. 
Uh, I was, yeah, I, I chewed on that for quite a while. What is, how, that doesn't make any sense to me. So I really had to chew on that and I took it to the teacher. So in so Isaiah 52. Me. Ooh, it's 714. Second Chronicles, Lord, have your way in America. We will be one nation under God in Jesus' name. Amen. So Isaiah 52, verse 5. Isaiah well, we'll, just, we'll just start with verse 4. 52, verse 4? Yes. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Long ago, my people chose to live in Egypt, and now they are oppressed by Assyria. What is this, asked the Lord? Why are my people enslaved again? Those who rule them shout in exultation, my name is blasphemed all day long. But I will reveal my name to my people, and they will come to know its power. Then at last they will recognize that I am the one who speaks to them. So... When they were enslaved, the, the, those that were enslaving them blasphemed the name of God. Um, that's, that's the scriptural reference that he's using there. But if these people claim to be God's people, they claim to have his grace and his blessing and his law, and they claim that they have the rights to judge other people, because of their actions. And that's what they try to present. They try to show that to the world. But the world doesn't just see what they want them to see. They see how they are in other ex experiences and other relationships. I could try my hardest to, to fake a, some kind of a, a facade for you to, for who I might be, some, some uh, righteous, holy person. But if you saw me at home, or if you saw me outside of the church, would I still be that same person? Can I keep that, that facade up? Or will eventually you see the truth of it? So these people are claiming these things, these righteous things, these, these people who are God's people. And those, the Gentiles are seeing this, and they're saying... Look at this guy. He thinks he's, he's something else. He, th he thinks he doesn't stink. So what, what honor is there in the name of this God that they have, this one God that they keep claiming, that, that they say is the, the ruler of all, the, the one God they say is the God of gods? What honor are they giving them? And that allows, that's where the blaspheme, where the Gentiles will blaspheme the name of their God because of what they're doing. And the Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it. So how here we are there. Now the, the Jews are going to be condemning them. The Jews... Now, we looked up this word condemn, and it was actually uh, judge, I believe. Oh, I didn't save it. I don't know. Oh, yeah, it is. Yep, judge. 
Where's that? It's Crino. Crino. To judge. So, so what he's saying is that they, the Gentiles who are uncircumcised will judge the Jews who are circumcised. So, Possessing the law and not obeying it, which we see all the time with the religious spirits running around. Um, how many people do we know judge those that are behaving one way in church and another way outside of church. To me, it's a mirror image of that. And for you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a, it is a change of heart produced by God's spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. So in this declaration here, he's saying that, he's saying that we're Jews. He's calling us Jews. We're God's people. He's using the word Jew as a name just for God's people in general. So those whose heart is right with God, not born of Jewish parents, not, it's not the ceremonies, it's not the law that you kept, it's your heart posture is right with God. That's the true circumcision. The change in the heart produced by the Spirit Right. So I'm just, I believe that the way he constructed the letter, the way the letter was constructed, starting at the ground level, I mean, they probably, at this point, were like almost wanting to stop reading the letter. You can't say that about me. But he's getting somewhere. You have to remember that. He's not, he's not trying to discourage or slander He's trying to level the playing field. He's trying to show that the Jew and the Gentile can both need salvation. There's a purpose in it. He's pointing out all these places where their law has failed them. He's pointing out all the places where even the Gentiles have hearts after God. He's trying to bring them to the same level even though they didn't have the law. They didn't have the birthright. But their heart posture defined who they were. That's so good. Chapter 3. Okay. Then what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Yes, there are awesome benefits. First of all, the Jews are entrusted with the whole revelation of God. I need, I need to, I, yeah, hold on. We have to. I, I love this translation. Um, hold on. There's a different revelation. Different. Here, yes. Three, one. Started three. I love this. So KJV. Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. I love that. True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean that God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. 
And as the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. But some might say, well, our sinfulness serves a good purpose, for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? This is merely a human point of view, of course. Of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? Can we just chew on that for a moment? So... Just... How many of us have heard people that are struggling with a sin, struggling with staying in a place in the world that they don't need to be, and yet they're still operating in the gifts. They're still operating in ministry or in the church, and they justify the drinking, the smoking, the drugging, the adultery, whatever it is. They justify it because God is still moving through them. So why would they ever need to stop doing that if they're still being used by God? In fact, since God is using me while I'm high, while I'm drinking at the bars, while I'm smoking with my friends, because, you know, I'm on the same level as them, so they, like, understand me, so that, you know, God can use me in those areas. So I must be okay. It must justify that behavior. Um, No, 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 it does not. Um, So we come across people like that, and this is a beautiful scripture to introduce them to, uh, to let them know that that is is definitely not the right way. Um, Well, and you get blinded, um, and that in itself is dangerous. I recently came across somebody who was who, who felt like what they were doing wasn't sinful because God was still working through them. Even though it was, it was negatively impacting their family, it was negatively impacting their children, their spiritual duties. They, as, a, you know, as the head of the house, they should be stewarding them in the spirit. They should be, they should be fostering relationships with Christ. They, they're supposed to be leading the household, and this this portion of, of their life was was failing, but they felt like God was still using them to minister to other people, so it must have been okay. So they're they're blind. It's like they're trying to convince themselves that that they don't need the whole package. But what they're doing is they're sacrificing their own eternity. They're sacrificing. There are ways to glorify God and still maintain your relationship with him and still maintain your, you know, your uh, search for righteousness, your continued endeavors to know him better and to love him. We're commanded to love him with all of our heart. Is following this sinful nature and letting your spiritual duties as a head of your household is that showing love? Or is it selfishness? Is it just trying to convince those around you that it's okay? Yes. Is. And he goes on to say, but someone might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty, dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? Okay, that's the devil's doctrine right there. Any, any of those thoughts. And some people even slander us by claiming that we say 
that the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. And remember, he's having to straighten out because they were hearing his teaching from afar and it was getting all twisted up. And he's reiterating that they're saying this and that's not true. He needs to, he needs to straighten that all out. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, and some people even slander us by claiming that we say the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all, for we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. So right there, he's saying no one is righteous, not even one. So that's in Psalms. Mm -hmm. Well, you didn't let me finish it. It's Psalms 14, 1 through 3. Psalms in Psalms 53, 1 through 3. So in Psalms 14, let's, let's read it. Okay. Only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. Now I'm going to read 53. Okay. Only fools say in their hearts there is no God. They are corrupt, and their actions are evil, and no one of them does good. God looks down on them from heaven, on the entire human race, and he looks to see that anyone is truly wise if anyone seeks God, but no one. It's the exact same thing. So we've learned that when the Bible repeats itself, we better pay attention. We need to pay attention. There's truth in it. And this isn't just a repeating idea. This is a word for word. So if he says no one is righteous, not even one, he's saying as a human, as a, as a human condition in the flesh, there's no righteousness. In the human condition in the flesh, how, how do we even know to seek God? Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave, and their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips, and their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them, and they don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. That's it. That's all the law was there for, was to show how much we need Jesus. And How the, much the proof in that Jesus. is that they had to continue these sacrifices every year, always, always sacrificing, always atoning, because they were never, it could never be f fully righteous. So that in itself should have shown them that this law is only to maintain us until something better comes. This is only to show us these things are wrong, because we, in our flesh, we can't defeat it. 
if they could defeat it, they would have no purpose for sacrifice. They would have no purpose for atonement. But they never could defeat it without Christ. And I think it's just so important, the longer that we're in ministry, the more we have to remember that this is not a performance-based gospel. I think so, not I think, I see so many people get caught up with the works and the performance of church operations, of ministry, and they treat it more of, of a business or an institution than they do a relationship and they lose their way. And when you lose your relationship, when you lose your way, the longer you're in here, the more I feel like, the more we have to be like the Beatitudes. We have to be meek. We have to know. I think that's why at Paul, it was the end of his life that he boasted more about his weakness. And I think that that's so important for us to glean about. The longer we're in this, the more we have to rely on God. Otherwise, it's a slippery slope and we get caught up. This is not a business. This is not an institution. This is not works. You cannot perform for God. You cannot perform for man. And we have to remember that so that we don't slip up. We do everything unto the Lord only for him. We are his vessels. Life on this planet is for him and only him. And I feel like this is so important for us to grab a hold of for the rest of our time so that we don't get slip, so we don't slip and fall. All right, so the rest of this, I'm reading out of the passion because it needs to be read out of the passion for us to fully grasp. Okay, for us to slowly grasp, but we're going to have it up here. So you'll be able to read it. Because my husband. We have the passion. Wonderful. So we're going to read the rest of chapter three out of the passion. Actually, I guess to verse 28. So 20, 21 to 28. Okay. Oh, But now, independently of the law, the righteousness of God is tangible and brought to light through Jesus, the anointed one. This is the righteousness that the scriptures prophesied would come. It is God's righteousness made visible through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And now all who believe in him receive that gift. For there really is no difference between us for we have all sinned, are in, we're all in need of the glory of God. Yet through his powerful declaration of acquittal, God freely gives away his righteousness. His gift of love and favor now cascades over us, all because our Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us from the guilt, the punishment, and the power of sin. Jesus... God-given destiny was to be the sacrifice to take away our sins, and now he is our mercy seat because of his death on the cross. We come to him for mercy, for God has made a provision for us to be forgiven by faith in the sacred blood of Jesus. This is the perfect demonstration of God's justice because until now, he had been so patient he was holding back his justice out of his tolerance for us. So he covered over the sins of those who lived prior to Jesus' sacrifice. 
And when the season of tolerance came to an end, there was only one possible way for God to give away his righteousness and still be true to both his justice and his mercy. And that was to offer up his son. So now, because we stand on the faithfulness of Jesus, God declares us righteous in his eyes. Where then is there room for boasting? Do our works bring God's acceptance? Not at all. It is not our works of keeping the law, but our faith in his finished work that makes us right with God. So our conclusion is this. God's wonderful declaration that we are righteous in his eyes can only come when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and not in keeping the law. After all, it is God, the God of the Jews only, or is he equally the God for all of humanity? Of course he's the God of all people, and since there is only one God, he will treat us all the same. He eliminates our guilt, and he makes us right with him by faith, no matter who we are. Does emphasizing our faith invalidate the law? Absolutely not. Instead, our faith establishes the role the law should rightfully have. As I'm reading this, we've been prepping, we have been studying, we have been diving in, we have been doing everything that we know to do. We've been meditating on the word, we've been seeking after Holy Spirit. We have looked at all of the transcripts. We've, we've, looked at, we've looked at everything. In fact, there was so much information on Romans, it was almost overwhelming on where God wanted to take us and what he wanted us to do. And he gave us the download about serving community. He gave us the worship song. And, and I'm realizing that we did everything that we were supposed to do, and it feels this after worship, I felt a deadness in here, and I felt a brick wall come in, and it wasn't the same that it was last time. And I was like, what is going on? Why are we struggling? What is going on? This isn't flowing. This isn't flowing. What's going on? And I've been pressing, I've been interceding on this stage the whole time, trying to figure out what this brick wall is, trying to figure out what's going on. And as I'm reading that, the Father says, because this isn't a performance-based gospel, sweetheart. You did everything right, and there's resistance, and it's not flowing, because that's what you need to reveal tonight. This is not a performance-based gospel. There is no boasting. He is going to keep you humble if you allow him. There is no boasting in ourselves. You cannot do this perfectly. You cannot prepare. You can't dive in. We're not like Lisa. We don't prepare for months out. We want fresh manna, and that's the manna that he has tonight. There is no performance in him. There is no boasting. And when you think you've done everything perfectly, he's going to resist so that you get to see that he's in control, 
Sometimes it's not man that it's the resistance. It's the father so that he can show his hand and let you know, be still and know that I am God. So thank you, Father, for this humbling moment tonight. And I will remember this for the rest of my life, and I thank you. I thank you so much. <laughs> I was going to go back into chap verse 25. <laughs> but we maybe we back. should just let's, go let's, into worship. We can, we can go back. I'm so sorry. That just... That was Holy Spirit. Woo. Woo. Thank you, Lord. Well, back in 25, he says, <laughs> he starts talking about how God withheld his judgment so that he would be just and fair. He says, he says, uh, for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life. <clears throat> This sacrifice shows that God is being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times. For he, had look, he was looking ahead and including them <clears throat> in what he would do in this present time. So before Christ and then after Christ, it shows that there is a turning point and things have to change. And this is uh, in reference in, in Acts 17, verse 30. If we can read that. Acts 17, For God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. So it was this ignorance that was in place. And then this knowledge came and they were expected more of. So in that, we can see that Jesus even talks about it in Luke chapter, two, chapter 12. He has a, a parable. Luke 12? Yeah. Which verse? Uh, I'll read it. The whole chapter is amazing. You can't really go wrong with Luke 12. It's so good. In 47, he says, A servant who knows what the master wants, but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions, will be severely punished. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong, will be punished only lightly. So he's showing that there is, this, there is this fairness in God. There is a fairness to him. He is ultimately fair. He has to be just. So he has to take into account those things, those that were before Christ, 
and those that were after Christ, those who knew him and those who did not. He, had, he has to be fair in that. So I know there's a lot of controversy about, you know, who did, was there somebody who didn't know, know Christ? Is there somebody, there are, there are, he has just ways, that his ways are not my ways. And he's outside of time. You say that all the time. I always say time. he's outside of time, that's right. But always. Christ, Christ's words there specifically say that one who is ignorant to it would have a lesser punishment. So there is a fairness in his judgment. Um, and it has to do with what we're exposed to in our life or what, we're, um, what we know or don't know. So. And then Peter, Second uh, Peter says in uh, chapter 2, for it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it than to turn from the holy command and delivered, uh, was delivered unto them. So we see again another reference of what it, what it means to know versus what it means not to know. How se- severe is, is your relationship or is the punishment or, you know, is it so? Yeah, can we go into the scripture that seems to be opposing scriptures between Romans and Peter? Do you know what I'm talking about? There's radically opposing scriptures, and it was really fascinating. Okay. Um, do you remember we were digging into that earlier? I feel like we're supposed to touch on that right now. So, dun, 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 dun. hold on. Hold on. You're talking about James. Am I talking about James? Yeah, you're talking about works. Yes, sorry, it was the book of James. Yes, you're right. Yes, I want to go into that a little bit, because that was really fascinating. Because sometimes... You know, scripture can seem like it's opposing. <laughs> and, and, uh, and that was really, that was really powerful. Is it chapter two? Don't you have it printed out? I don't know. Are you jumping ahead of me? I thought you had it printed out. Mm. I might have opened my mouth when I shouldn't have. Hold on. I'm very, I apologize. I shouldn't have said anything. It's okay. Yeah, James 2, no, yeah, we're looking for a specific. Must be 2. Um, anyway, sorry, what was keep the thought? going. Okay. So we see that there's a difference between knowing and not knowing. He, he is fair in his... Stop it. <laughs> Hold on, I want to see this. So we go in from, from being, you know, God, God's righteousness and his fairness is just. And then we go into to, uh, 27 where it says, can we boast then? What is there to boast about? Are we any, I mean, where does the boasting come from? It, it comes from feeling justified, I guess, in your works. What else is there to boast about? Maybe the decisions that you made. I don't know. Um, but if we take Jesus out of the equation, am I any better? So what is it, what is it that I have to boast about? Only that, only that that Jesus does. That's the only thing that there is to boast about, is the hope that I have because I have accepted him. That's what I have to boast about, the hope that I have. And that is not anything that I've done. 
That's not anything that I, any work that I've, any uh, thought process that I created, any, you know, this is only accepting Christ. Only Christ's blood is the only thing I have to boast about. Is it the law? Does the law allow me to boast about anything if I follow the law? Because what happens if I take away the law? Is it me or is it the law? It's not me. It's not, it's not me. I still don't have anything to boast about. found it. Okay. So here it says James 14 through 26. James 2, 14 through 26. Yep. So if you go, so if you go to 3, Romans 3, verses 28 through 30, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law, or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will just Justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So we are justified by faith alone. And he's saying... Apart from deeds of the law. Apart from deeds. That's, yeah. So then you go to James 2, 14 through 26. And he says, well, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Which is the complete opposite of what Paul's saying in Romans. He's saying all you need is faith and that your actions mean nothing. So it seems like a little bit of a contradiction. So we need to keep reading. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or a sister. Hello. That was weird. My phone just came alive in a way of, okay, that was weird. Sorry. Um, what good is it, dear brother? Hold on. Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Again, the complete opposite of what Paul just got done saying. But I said, hold on, I lost my place. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe that, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say. Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do not by faith alone. What? Again, the opposite of Paul. Seems. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. 
Right. It's the route so, you take. It's the route you take to get to the works. Hold on. Let me, let me read this. So it says, it is true faith alone. Tr- yes, it is true that faith alone saves. But true faith, saving faith, has a distinct character. It is not just agreeing with certain facts, but it is directing the mind and the will in agreement with God. So the whole purpose of the book of James is to describe the character of the saving faith that Paul is describing in Romans. Does that make sense to everybody? Yes. 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 That's so good. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, it's just amazing. So it's just important for us to know that when we're going through. Mm, I even like what Calvin said. All right, sorry. What did Calvin say? Mm. He says that you also need to remember who the books are written to, that that's also a very important to have that whole connotation. Um, and for James... The reconciling of the two views depends chiefly on the drift of the argument pursued by James. For the question with James is not how men attain righteousness before God. For his object was to confute hypocrites who vainly boasted that they had faith. James meant no more than man is not made or proved to be just by a fiend or dead faith and that he must prove his righteousness by his works. Which I thought was really interesting. Well, it goes along with judging the the tree by its fruit. Yes, exactly. You have to have both. You have to have both. Okay. So we conclude with uh, verse 31 here. Well, then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. So, the law, we've decided, was there to show us what sin really was. Because without the law, the Jews were like everyone else on earth. They were subject to the same sinful behaviors. They were subject to the same terrible decisions, to the same ploys of the enemy. They were subject to the... What was to tell them not to murder or steal or have to be sexually immoral? What was to tell them that? They had no gauge other than the law. That's why it was given, so that they could be righteous, so that they could be set apart. Otherwise, they would fall into the same traps that the Egyptians were in, the same traps that the Romans were in, these these societies that were supposed to be the Babylonians, they were supposed to be the pinnacle of human you know, evolution. They, but they all had this sexual immorality in them and this deviantness in them and this embrace, embrace of, of sinful natures, of fulfilling your own needs, your own personal needs. How do you get away from that? By God set them apart with the law. And he did that to 
hold their hand while they learned what was right in his eyes and what was not. And eventually, when Christ came to fulfill that law, he had to because the law was, was in itself, it wasn't enough for us. So he had to fulfill his first covenant, strike a new covenant, and release the Holy Spirit. That's the key. Because without the Holy Spirit, who is your teacher? Who is your guide? Where does your wisdom and knowledge come from? Where does your understanding of things that are spiritual come from? Without the Holy Spirit. So, that's another pivotal part in, in the gospel. And I'm sure we'll get to that in the future here. <laughs> so. Yeah. I just want to touch again on the importance of Holy Spirit. I just feel like the Lord's leading me into this. I'm 38 years old, and I got saved when I was 22. And I know that when we get saved, we get a portion of the Holy Spirit. But I was never baptized in the Holy Spirit. I never understood what that was. I didn't know the Holy Spirit resides in us, that it comes upon us. Um, my background was, the, the little background I had was Baptist. So it was very performance-based. It was very religious. Um, and I struggled for many, 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 many years actually living this life because I did not have Holy Spirit and I was not drinking in his word. So for anybody that's listening, for those of us in this room, as we minister to other people that don't have that, it wasn't until Daniel and I stepped in this house of the Lord and got radically filled with the Holy Spirit that our life changed drastically. It didn't matter how long I was a Christian or saved. My life and the fruit of my life did not bear witness to that. The Holy Spirit, you're going to see that that's going to continue to be. The Holy Spirit is the most important thing. Otherwise, you are literally walking around with one arm tied behind your back and one leg tied behind you, and you're trying to... to conduct yourself in this world. So I just really want to, if there are those of you listening, you have not had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have not sought Holy Spirit. It looks different for everybody. It looks very different for everybody. You don't watch something and say, that's what it looks like when Holy Spirit falls on me. There are things in here that tell us what can happen, but it looks different. But I just want to encourage everybody out there to keep seeking Holy Spirit, even if you have him. I'm constantly wanting more. Daniel's constantly wanting more. Most people in this room are constantly wanting more. We need to always want more because there's also no limit to how many baptisms of the Holy Spirit we get and how many feelings we get. But for those of you that don't have it, you have to have Holy Spirit because Holy Spirit, he's your teacher, he's your comforter, he's your revelation revealer. He is what equips you to be able to do the works in the ministry that Jesus did. We cannot do that without Holy Spirit. You will continue to be a carnal Christian. You will continue to struggle. You will be like these people. You will struggle. You will try to do the works. You will have the faith and nothing will come of it because you, you don't have Holy Spirit. You don't have the fullness of God within you. So I just really feel like we're supposed to touch on that. It, 
It wasn't. And, and in how five do you get years, the Holy Spirit? You oh just, my goodness. You, you ask. just ask. You ask Father right now. You so just I just ask. say right now, anybody at home or anybody in here who hasn't received the Holy Spirit, just we just pray right now, Father, that you pour out the Holy Spirit on all of us. You continue to fill us. And we just thank you for the words that you had for us tonight. And we thank you for this opportunity to be refilled yes. with the Holy Spirit. That the wisdom that comes and the knowledge that comes and the power that comes with that, that it glorifies you and only you. And that we can just move out of your way, Lord. And then we can let you operate through us. And we thank you that you sent Holy Spirit as a teacher, as a comforter, that we have that um, channel to commune with you and to understand your power and your love, that we can be filled with that love for others and we can have those fruits in our life that glorify you. Yes. And have eyes to see and ears to hear. Yes. From you, Father, to have that tether to you and you alone. So we just thank you. We pray a blessing over everybody here tonight. I thank you for your teaching, for you having your way. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all.